This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Sunny today, high near 46. Partly cloudy tonight, low around 34. Afternoon showers Friday, high near 45. The man who police believe gunned down an Endicott residence in a Huron campus parking lot is being held on a murder charge. Authorities said 24-year-old Nathaniel Williams Jr. of Endicott was being held at Broome County Jail in the town of Dickinson. No bail has been set for Williams, who was arraigned shortly after he was taken into custody following a standoff on Binghamton's west side. Endicott police said Williams is suspected in the killing of 25-year-old Malik Dawson, who was found lying on the ground in a parking lot on Adams Avenue. Officers were sent to the scene after gunshots rang out around 1.30 p.m. on Saturday, July 1st. Dawson was taken to Wilson Medical Center in Johnson City, where he died a short time later. Endicott Police said Williams was charged with second-degree murder on October 4th. An arrest warrant was issued by Village Court. The U.S. Marshals Service Regional Fugitive Task Force tracked Williams to a single-family home at 68 Thorpe Street in Binghamton. Metro SWAT team members showed up at the residence around 11.45 a.m. Tuesday to execute a search warrant. Homes in the neighborhood were evacuated and nearby schools went into lockdown status as a precaution. Police said Williams was taken into custody around 5.30 p.m. No injuries were reported during the standoff. On November 27th, members of the Broome County Special Investigations Unit Task Force executed a search warrant at 97 Pine Street, Apartment 1 in Binghamton. Search warrant investigators located a loaded 9mm Glock brand handgun, 45 Colt 410 shotgun bond arms handgun, high capacity 9mm handgun magazine, and ammunition for both handguns. Gary Turner was arrested and transported to the Binghamton Police Department to be processed on two counts of criminal possession of a weapon, second degree, and three counts of criminal possession of a weapon in the third degree. Joseph Swansboro of Ithaca was sentenced to 150 months in federal prison for attempting to entice and coerce a minor to engage in sexual activity, according to the Albany Field Office of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. As part of his previously entered guilty plea, Swansboro admitted that between September and October of 2021, he exchanged sexually explicit messages online with an undercover officer posing as a 10-year-old child in an attempt to entice the child into engaging in sexual acts with him. Swansboro also admitted that on October 12, 2021, he traveled from his home in Tioga County to a prearranged meeting location in Broome County with the intent to engage in sexual acts with the 10-year-old child. Swansboro was arrested upon arrival at the location and was found in possession of candy it promised to bring the child. He was also sentenced to 25-year term of supervised release to begin after he serves his term of imprisonment. Swansboro will also be required to register as a sex offender upon his release from prison. The New York State Police announced that it issued a total of 12,171 tickets statewide during this year's special Thanksgiving holiday traffic enforcement period. 
The Thanksgiving enforcement period began on Wednesday, November 22nd and continued through Sunday, November 26th. During the campaign, which was funded by the Governor's Traffic Safety Committee, state police utilized sobriety checkpoints, additional DWI patrols, and ticketed distracted drivers who used handheld electronic devices. Troopers arrested 178 people for DWI and investigated 765 crashes with zero facilities reported. As part of the enforcement, troopers also targeted speeding and aggressive drivers across the state. Tickets were issued for 4,349 for speeding, 362 for distracted driving, 1,162 for seatbelt violations, and 137 for move over law. During the 2022 Thanksgiving holiday enforcement campaign, the New York State Police issued 14,263 total tickets and arrested 229 people for DWI. After several years of debate and discussion, a newly constructed Vestal Fire Department station has gone into operation. Fire trucks and other equipment used by firefighters have been moved into the $7.5 million facility off Jensen Road. The new Station 4 is located just south of the Kohl's store on the Parkway Plaza. The complex was built on a three-and-a-half-acre site where an American Legion clubhouse had stood for about six decades. The Vestal Fire District acquired the property in 2018. The 15,000-square-foot facility has much more space for fire apparatus than the old Station 4 located a short distance away on the Vestal Parkway. Assistant Fire Chief Chuck Paffey said fire department members are extremely happy with the new station. He told WNBF News, it's nice to have the room we have now. Plans for call for the property where the old station stands to be sold. The proceeds from the sale will be used to help defray some of the cost of develop, developing the new facility. A dedication ceremony and open house event are planned at the facility soon. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. Bob Joseph, this is Binghamton Now for Thursday, November 30th, 2023. Good morning. Welcome to the program. We have a lot to talk about today. And I hope at some point between now and noon, you'll feel compelled to join our conversation. We're taking phone calls from listeners just like you. Coming up in a few minutes, it's Thursday. And this is your program, live and local, Binghamton Now. And we begin the morning with Matthew Paulus, the uh, developer who has uh, made an impact on Broome County with a couple of big projects, the Ansco Camera Factory conversion on Emma Street in Binghamton, and most recently, the Victory Lofts Project in Johnson City. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, as well to all your listeners as well. I hope everyone had a great holiday, and thank you for the opportunity on your show. Well, it's good to have you on the program again. Uh, a lot has happened since we last spoke on the air. Of course, uh, for several months, people have uh, been busy uh, moving in and settling in 
to the 156-unit Victory Loss Building in Johnson City. For people not familiar with the project, most of our listeners are familiar, but say people, for whatever reason, weren't paying attention or maybe they weren't in the area when the project was being discussed and then started, give an overview of what has happened with the old Endicott-Johnson Victory Factory. Well, thank you, Bob. Um, the the transformation of the Endicott Johnson Victory Building has been a, a conversation in this community for many decades, if I recall correctly. And uh, we were very pleased um, and, and thankful for the opportunity to be a part of this great public-private partnership to bring together this transformational project. Um, you know, what has been called at times, uh, I believe it was called, and I quote, Broome County's biggest uh, most visible eyesore. And, you know, this this old factory building that made leather boots for many years uh, in this community has been transformed into new housing and new business opportunities in this community. It's a $40 million uh, redevelopment of the former Endicott Johnson Victory Lofts, which brings the community 156 apartments as well as commercial space available for lease. Uh, the building is one of a kind. You know, it, it can be seen from all over the place. It's got a prominent role in this community skyline. It is something that has uh, represented the great economic manufacturing prowess of this community for many decades and generations. Uh, as of late, it has been a building that has been underutilized, hasn't reached, reached its full potential. And, and we are just so thankful to be a part of that team that was able to think about the reuse of this building to preserve its great history. And to have something that this community can recall in terms of their economic prowess and, and something to guide them going forward. Well, I still have the uh, actual newspaper with the front page, the Preston Sun Bulletin's front page story that said the Victory Factory is going to be demolished. It was not even up for debate at that point. And I believe, I'm just punching this up now. Yeah, April 27th, 2016. Here we are seven and a half years later. The, the headline on Jeff Platsky's story said, Old EJ Victory Plant to be raised, and it shows, well, you know what the place looked like in 2016 or a few years after when, when you first saw it. So it's amazing what's transpired. It said, building found to be unsalvageable due to decades of neglect, and yet you proved that it was salvageable. Well, thank you for saying that, Bob. But, you know, the, the building was, was, was built very well. And we are thankful that the conversation around the future of the building um, wasn't, wasn't finalized until, you know, 2020. And that allowed us a chance to preserve this great building and its history. You know, it, it was severely neglected. You know, it suffered years and decades of, uh, of abuse. Of, of difficulties and there was still something special beneath all that and i think you know this building tells a great story about this community you know it it, it exemplifies all the great things this community can accomplish and it also exemplifies all the great things about this community you know here we have an underutilized building that has been a reminder to so many people in this community about its past without a clear purpose for its future. And we are just so glad to be a part of what that future will be. And we hope to be not only great stewards of this, but 
we hope to pass on this to future generations as well. It's almost exactly three years ago that you announced the project. And at that time, scope of the project was 108 apartments. Of course, the project ultimately uh, was expanded to develop 156 units in the building. And the initial estimated price tag was $30 million. Obviously, costs go up and, and things change. This turned out to be, uh, to be blunt, uh, a, a challenging project, not just from the financial side, but other sides as well. I'm sure just from conversations I've had with you and others, uh, there were points when, when things perhaps got a little tougher than, than you might have originally expected. Well, if I could say it differently, Bob, the, the completion or the redevelopment of the victory loss was not easy. It was not easy. In fact, it was the greatest challenge we have met yet. You know, we dealt with several external factors, macroeconomic factors, um, you know, a pandemic, inflation, one of the fastest run-ups and uh, fastest increases in interest rates in our country's history. There were challenges that presented itself. However, you know, we had the team, the right public-private partnership team that met all of these challenges and not only were able to redevelop the site, but also make it successful. And I am pleased here, to, Bob, today to, you know, talk about, you know, we overcame some great challenges and, and we really hope this community is pleased with the efforts of everyone involved, including ourselves. And coming up today, there's a formal ribbon cutting ceremony to actually um, call attention. This project, this was uh, one of those projects that took years to not only envision, but also to pull off. And, and now it's a reality. It's a great feeling, Bob. It's great to hear you say that. It's great to hear you say that. It's been many years of, of working diligently um, to, to try and come up with a plan that can work for a building of this size. Um, to your, your earlier comment, this building was all, has always been a challenge for this community. It would be a challenge for any community. It is massive, it is massive in size. Um, it's difficult in terms of its adaptive reuse. When there's a will, there's a way, Bob, and it's a great thing. You know, I've always enjoyed being down here. I, this community has been great to me and my company. You know, it, it has treated me with the utmost respect, and in many ways, this is a second home to me now. Um, we're, we, we're just so happy to be a part of this and, and to be provided this opportunity and help this community be a part of the team that can help this community realize its full potential. You know, the Victory Building, in a lot of ways, has not reached its full potential yet. And with all the investment and strategic initiatives that have been uh, formed and in place, um, you know, the Southern Tier Health and Sciences Campus over in Johnson City, uh, being the biggest of those, has been a true driver of economic growth in this region. And we hope that the Victory Lofts shows this community what they have and what they can do, but also... Speaking with Matt Paulus, the uh, developer oh, of the Victory. Oh, sorry, oh. I, I got cut out there, Bob. Yeah, I was going to say, I w wasn't sure if we lo lost you just sorry, briefly. That's okay. <laughs> sorry about that. I apologize, but it, you know, it, it's a great moment. We, we're, you know, today we are we're, we're gathering today with uh, some, some key stakeholders and stakeholders who uh, made a huge difference in making this project a reality. You know, taking a moment to celebrate the success of this community. You know. This project is, is about the community. It's about the work that we all can do when we work together and we set our minds to something. And, 
just super proud of, of the work and the team effort that resulted in this transformational project of victory loss. How many units are still available? I, I know the occupancy rate is high. Approximately how many of the 156 apartments are are still available? Well, you know, Bob, when we started off this, uh, when we set out to celebrate this, this opening, it was purely intended to celebrate the construction, the completion of construction at this site. Things have gone so well for us. We today will not only celebrate the completion of this project, we will also celebrate the lease up of this project. In other words, we have leased almost every apartment in this project. We, I think we have a handful left. We are nearing 100% occupancy. And the expectations that we had for housing were greatly exceeded. And it shows to us and hopefully to many others that there is economic opportunity down here in the Southern Tier region. And there are a lot of great things to look forward to and a lot of successes to be had. What will happen now with the top floor of the building? That still hasn't been completed, as I understand it. And I believe the original plans were for commercial or some other uses, non-residential uses of that top floor. What's what's going to happen in the coming months with the fifth floor? Well, you know, we have we have held conversations with several businesses throughout the area um, to to talk about doing the, the top floor as a as a business floor uh, that would attract more private businesses to the area. Um, but at the moment, we're, we're just celebrating 156 apartments. We're celebrating the the, th- the four four out of five floors that we completed out of victory. Um, you know, part of part of the balance in the sensitivity with this project. It's just approaching it the right way. In a building of this size, we we felt it was more prudent and pragmatic to focus on the immediate needs, the housing needs of this community, um, you know, get the project to a stabilized condition and grow from there. Um, You know, we we couldn't be in a better position. I mean, we have this great building that's almost fully occupied with 156 apartments, and we still have another floor left to dream about. And we'll be dreaming about that over the coming months and years, and we look forward to sharing um, our updates and progress with you and your listeners in the future. But do some of those dreams then possibly mean additional residential space? Some have suggested because uh, most of the units were um, leased fairly quickly that additional residential units are, are being considered for that space on the top of the building. Well, you know, it, it would be... It would be fair to say we, we did a, a pretty material, substantial review of, of residential occupancy throughout that entire building. Um, and, you know, our, our approach that we decided upon, you know, what was, was the right path, and we believe that to be. You know, the future uses for the top floor, at this, we, we don't have final plans um, at, at this point to move forward with res, residential. Um, we, we would like to pursue some of the business interests that have uh, businesses that have expressed interest um, you know, in, in having the victory lofts as their home, but but right now we're we're in a good spot, and uh, I think we're in a good position for the long term. You know, part part of uh, you know part of our relationship with this community. I know we're a Syracuse-based developer development group, but you know we we want to be long term uh, long term owners and managers of these properties, and uh, you know we hope to care for these properties well. And we hope to develop a good uh, relationship and reputation with this community that they continue to uh, to trust us to to provide great housing opportunities and, and, and future opportunities for this community. And now, 
What's your vision for the smaller building across the street, 19 Avenue B? We understand that perhaps uh, 30 or 35 apartments might be uh, developed at that old Endicott Johnson box stove factory. Is that your plan? Yeah, um, you and I have uh, talked before, Bob, about uh, you know what is 19 Avenue B, 30 Avenue C, which is commonly known as the uh, Endicott Johnson Toe Box Building. Um, also, to some folks, it was the Volunteers of America Building. Um, we, we have been diligently working on our plans. We have uh, solidified the majority of those, and we will be making an announcement shortly on our plans for that site. But we have a a great make mixed use project planned uh, for that site. We hope it will further increase the economic activity in Johnson City and strengthen the connections between North and South of Main Street, you know, between Binghamton University's campus, UHS, and the, and the great expansion that they have underway, and the North side, that, that, you know, that focuses a lot more on the private sector. And some of the businesses that have opened up in the Victory Lofts, you know, we're, we're, we're really excited. We're very bullish and confident on the Johnson City uh, southern tier market. We've had great success and have been provided a lot of opportunity, and we look forward to delivering another great project um, hopefully soon at the 19th Avenue B EJ Towbox building. Under the best-case scenario, how soon could work start at that site? Or has some preliminary work already begun? Looks like somebody's been doing something over there. I was just over there yesterday just to observe the situation along Helen Drive. Well, the, the work that you might be seeing now, I would, I would call as more pre-construction, Bob. You know, I think we're still in the investigation and analysis stage. Um, but I would say that's more focused on construction at this point. So, you know, in today's world, there, there have been many changes, uh, you know, in the last three years. And being very thoughtful and um, intentful on approaching real estate development projects in this environment is necessary. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to continue to do that. Um, we're going to do our due diligence on the front end, but no major work at this time has started on that project. Um, you know, we continue to, to pull back the layers, understand the building, and uh, finalize a great plan that we're going to announce shortly. And would you like work to start by next summer? Yes, I would. Well, I have to say, uh, as I... Uh examined the area yesterday uh, late afternoon. Of course, it gets dark early now, so it was uh, probably a little bit after 5 o'clock and driving through that area and looking at what now has become of the old Victory Factory and actually seeing that there are occupied apartments. You could see holiday decorations, Christmas trees, and so on in a building that up until fairly recently had been written off and it it was quite um, dramatic uh, a visually dramatic transformation of a building that by now we would have expected might have been uh, torn down at great expense. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is truly a, a testament to the opportunities that are unfolding in this area when you drive through Johnson City right now. You know, there, there are there's been great activity throughout the southern tier region. You know, Binghamton has had a great a, a great resurgence. Um, you know, Johnson City um, has a lot of great investments going on right now. Um, we're, we're very happy to be a part of that community. Um, we want to contribute towards its continued progress and, uh, you know, continue to expand our relationship. I have heard, Bob, now you were driving around there. I have heard that uh, Johnson City has, uh, has quite, uh, quite a parade. 
Yes, <laughs> there I'm, I'm is a parade just a few hours from now, and I'll probably be uh, driving around on, on on Main Street, just uh, just a, a block or so from the Victory Loss Project. And again, as you mentioned, there's so much new development, whether it's the private development or work associated with the university's health sciences campus or the United Health Services Wilson Medical Center project that should be wrapping up by spring or early summer. It's uh, everywhere you look along that corridor, there is uh, a lot of activity. Yeah, it, it is great to see. You know, it, it 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 represents you know long term planning by this community. This community has great leaders, people who care, um, come up with different ideas to try and you know spark some progression. You know, to to celebrate the opportunities, and you know, th- this community is on its way. It's a great thing. It, it's a it's a really special thing for me. You know, not being a longtime member of this community, but understanding the history, it's been a great thing for me to see. Um, you know, this transformation. You know. In EJ Victory is, is sort of a microcosm of it. You know, it's, it's representative of, you know, the great economic times associated with Endicott Johnson, um, the decline of Endicott Johnson, and now the rebirth of the region. And, you know, there was some time between the two, but this community never lost hope and uh, never lost faith in their abilities and, and, and what they can accomplish. And this is what we have to show for it. And it's a great thing. It's a really exciting time. It's a very inspiring time to be a part of this community and to be contributing towards its progress. Matthew Paulus, thanks for the update, and we will be in touch in the coming weeks. Bob, thank you again for the opportunity to be on here. Thank you for telling the story about EJ Victory. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoy the holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you. That's Matt Paulus, developer from the Syracuse area, in town today for the ribbon cutting at the Victory Lofts project in Johnson City. 607-772-1290 is the number. Thursday morning live, I'm Bob Joseph. This is Binghamton Now. From the Golf Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. We sell the ultimate driving machine at Galt BMW. Good morning and welcome to my world. We're here to serve you. That's what it's about. And I think we are uh, providing an important service in terms of information in real time. I know some people still question, why would you want to do information in real time? That's so passe. 
Yeah, an old timer. You want live coverage of stuff? Why? Here's the forecast from the National Weather Service. Mostly sunny today, high 45, partly cloudy tonight. Good night for a parade in Johnson City, low 35. Tomorrow, cloudy, showers developing in the afternoon, high 44. The weekend forecast, mostly cloudy Saturday with a slight chance of showers, high 53. Cloudy Sunday, the chance of afternoon showers, high 50. Right now, it's 28 in downtown Binghamton, minus 2 Celsius at WNBF. And for those who keep track of this, air quality polluted, the pollution, the contaminants are starting to affect the sensitive breathers of our area. Uh, moderate air quality index right now. It's up to 52. So I don't know. I don't know where the pollution's coming from, but particle pollution. So I don't know if that's from fires or whatever, but... Uh, well, the the good air quality that we've enjoyed for the last several days that's that's gone. So, I mean, it's not terrible. It's not not like you're going to fall over if you go outside and take a breath. But as they say, if you are unusually sensitive to particle pollution, consider reducing your activity level or shorten the amount of time you're active outdoors. So. I was out uh, taking, <laughs> of course, taking pictures. What is it you do, Bob? Mm, take pictures and shoot videos and ask questions. Hmm. You ever get bored? No, never. Never. <laughs> every every morning, not every morning, almost every morning, I find at least one potential story. Not every day. But virtually every day, I find something that is going to lend itself to a story, if not now, at some point in the future. So. It's 9.36 at News Radio WNBF. Coming up later today, of course, Dan Bongino from noon to 3, Sean Hannity from 3 to 6, and Mark Levin from 6 to 9. There's always a lot to talk about, a lot to listen to. 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the WNBF app. Oh, 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 Merry Thursday. This is Santa Bob. Sorry about that. WNBF. WNBF.com. TV much anymore because oh I don't know why <laughs> I would watch TV more if everything was live but you may have noticed 
on TV these days, aside from sports and a few holiday specials. Not much is ever live on TV anymore. So, uh, fortunately, they did do a, a live show from New York City, and it was on the NBC National Broadcasting Company Network, and I watched portions of it, and I thought it was a great, great show. I hope you uh, saw it, the uh, tree. They uh, got the tree lighted. That's the tree from Vestal. And I thought it was just splendid. As I tweeted at 10 p.m., <laughs> tweeted something to uh, the effect that, uh, wow. Wow. Um, what did I write? Uh, Twitter. I wonder what's going to happen to Twitter. Is that thing going to go out of business? Wow, that tree looks a bit different than when we saw it in Vestal, New York. Um, because I, I I hope NBC isn't listening or Rock Center. But anyway, right when they turn the um, all the lights on the tree, I think they have like a billion lights. Some, uh, I don't know the exact amount, but it's... It's a lot of lights, maybe not a billion, but a lot. So it's a it's quite the project to take a tree, as they did, the 80-foot Norway spruce from Vestal, just on the fringe on the eastern side of the Binghamton University campus. So to take the tree, as they did early this month, and then strap it to a trailer and then carefully and methodically uh, transport it to Manhattan, and apparently that all went well, and then it was transformed. So I love the tree. Uh, the first time I actually paid attention to that tree was on November 1st when they made the public announcement that it was the V tree of 2023. And so, you know, we've had, had some fun. I know some people say, oh, come on now. We've heard enough about it. Well, hey, came from Broome County. Mm, I know, but I've heard enough about it. Okay, well, if you're that sensitive. But I, I thought it was great. So it was great to check out the um, that tree and see. Uh, now, obviously... I don't know how, how to say this delicately, but obviously when it comes to a TV production, you know, from the national broadcasting company, of course it's going to be choreographed and scripted and, you know, all the things I love about live TV. And, yeah, they, they hit, they managed to hit all the right buttons to put on a, a live TV production. So it was great to see. It was great. That um, Jackie McGinley and her husband Matt and their children had a chance to be there for the lighting. I was glad that I had a chance to uh, speak with Jackie the other day. I should have probably attached that interview. Maybe I will. I think I will add that interview that we did. I'll, I'll attach that to our story at WNBF.com. We did the story on the website on Tuesday, and I didn't include the full interview, so maybe, maybe I'll add that in a few minutes. I think that would be a nice touch 
that we had, in case you missed it. On, uh, what is all that noise? It sounds like oh, that special effects and some sort of radio drama. Oh no, just looking through notes here. Hmm. Oh, okay. So I was able to speak on Tuesday, yes, with Jackie McGinley and uh, Charlie McGinley. And she's nine. And, uh, and uh, her sister is uh, 12. They uh, they really had been looking forward to going to the tree lighting ceremony. It was nice to see them on the National Broadcasting Company coverage of uh, the tree lighting. It looked like everybody was having fun. It's 9.45. Bob Joseph live, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, streaming at WNBF.com. At 9.49 or 11 before the hour, if you prefer... This is Binghamton Now, Thursday morning with Bob Joseph. Jim and Schnango Forks, you're on the air. Yeah, um, I, I want to uh, ask you about some old news. The, uh, I think it was Wednesday you talked about the eagle's nest um, that uh, is knocked out of the tree. And we were just getting ready to go into a doctor's appointment, so we had to miss that conversation. So if you could just... Recap a little bit about um, wh- what happens to the eagles once the nest has been uh, blown up down. Okay, and this is the eagle's nest that many people had seen over the last few years in Port Crane off Route 369, um, not far from the, the exit to Interstate 88. So, yeah, yeah, during the windstorm a little over a week ago, sadly, that very large nest was blown down. And what I'm told, the good news is, is um, eagles, eagles have to deal with this sort of thing. I mean, it doesn't happen every day, but it does happen on occasion. And uh, the experts I've talked to say... The eagles should be just fine. So here's a little background about eagles and say if something happens to their nest, say if it gets blown down or something else happens to it. So every year, established pairs of bald eagles return to and defend the same breeding territory. And here in the Northeast, eagles typically return to nesting sites beginning in December and will then breed during midwinter. So within their territory, the pair may build between one and five nests, with only one oh. being active. So they have, they're smart. They're, you know, if, if we were smart, we would have a, a primary home and then one or two others in case something happened. But uh, so they, they have backup nests. Only one is active. The other nests serve as alternates when the primary nest is disturbed, damaged, or destroyed. Sometimes when the primary nest is damaged or destroyed, the pair may try to rebuild rather than relocating to an alternate nest. The eagles may also choose an alternate nest if their breeding attempt was unsuccessful the previous year. So the bottom line is, although some people, including our good friend Art Pennard, and others had had expressed concern about the the eagles. 
based on what I'm told by world-class experts, bald eagle experts who know these things, they should be fine. So, oh, that, well, I really appreciate the uh, the information, and, and uh, like the eagles, you know, my wife and I have an alternate uh, location so that we can, and something happens to this one. But yeah. our, our alternate one is in Florida, which we'll be, we'll be going to soon. So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking of um, getting an alternate location in Arizona, but I don't want to talk about it because it's supposed to be confidential. So just between <laughs> you and me, my yeah. you know I I enjoy my primary residence right here in the Binghamton area, but but my alternate location likely is going to be in Arizona. But I you know I don't want people to know about that because if I go to my alternate location, most likely I would want my privacy. So yeah, but definitely. Uh, but yeah, thank well, you for inquiring. Uh, I meant to uh, let people know about the Eagles because even though they beat the Bills the other night, you know we we still <laughs> we still respect the Eagles. At least the ones, maybe not the Eagles from the city of brotherly love, but maybe the Eagles certainly here in uh, Port Crane and and all across the Southern Tier. So uh, that is that's encouraging news and. I'll uh, try to keep tabs on that area. Who knows? Even now, they might be making preliminary efforts to start rebuilding where the nest was because that that primary nest seemed to be active for for quite a while. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and, um, and for people in that area up not far from State Park, keep your eyes open. You might you might actually discover where they uh, are living temporarily. Okay, uh, and also maybe a, a suggestion that sometime you could have uh, Rick Marcy uh, on your program. Um, he's a naturalist. He used to have a, a column in the newspaper for years. And, yeah, well, it still and, appears. Uh, yeah. It's still, and, so, and uh, oddly enough, <laughs> Rick Marcy actually earlier this month sent me a note because, um, oh, he saw we, uh, he uh was interested in the uh the tree the big norway spruce in vestal so he sent me a note uh, about three weeks ago and yeah it was great to be in touch with him so at some point i'll probably invite him on i enjoy his columns and i i certainly yeah. would love to hear him talk about his mom harriet marcy who was uh, one of the people instrumental in uh preserving the uh, wetland area in Appalachian. When the DOT initially planned to plow right through that wetland area in Appalachian and destroy a, a natural habitat, Harriet Marcy, Rick's mom, and at least one other woman, some other people, um, mm -hmm. were able to actually get the DOT to change the route of the highway. That's why the highway splits right there, uh, in large part due to the work that Mrs. Marcy did. So I'll uh, I'll see if uh, Rick, uh, yeah, if Rick Marcy would be willing to come on. Appreciate your call. Okay, thank you very much. We enjoy your show. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And we have more of the program coming right up. My name is Bob Joseph. The program's called Binghamton Now. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221EJ Binghamton, a town square media station. Where news breaks first. 
News Radio 1290 WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF News. Sunny today, high near 46. Partly cloudy tonight, low around 34. Afternoon showers Friday, high near 45. The man who police believe gunned down an Endicott residence in a Huron campus parking lot is being held on a murder charge. Authorities said 24-year-old Nathaniel Williams Jr. of Endicott was being held at Broome County Jail in the town of Dickinson. No bail has been set for Williams, who was arraigned shortly after he was taken into custody following a standoff on Binghamton's west side. Endicott police said Williams is suspected in the killing of 25-year-old Malik Dawson, who was found lying on the ground in a parking lot on Adams Avenue. Officers were sent to the scene after gunshots rang out around 1.30 p.m. on Saturday, July 1st. Dawson was taken to Wilson Medical Center in Johnson City, where he died a short time later. Endicott Police said Williams was charged with second-degree murder on October 4th. An arrest warrant was issued by Village Court. The U.S. Marshals Service Regional Fugitive Task Force tracked Williams to a single-family home at 68 Thorpe Street in Binghamton. Metro SWAT team members showed up at the residence around 11.45 a.m. Tuesday to execute a search warrant. Homes in the neighborhood were evacuated and nearby schools went into lockdown status as a precaution. Police said Williams was taken into custody around 5.30 p.m. No injuries were reported during the standoff. On November 27th, members of the Broome County Special Investigations Unit Task Force executed a search warrant at 97 Pine Street, Apartment 1 in Binghamton. Search warrant investigators located a loaded 9mm Glock brand handgun, 45 Colt 410 shotgun bond arms handgun, high-capacity 9mm handgun magazine, and ammunition for both handguns. Gary Turner was arrested and transported to the Binghamton Police Department to be processed on two counts of criminal possession of a weapon, second degree, and three counts of criminal possession of a weapon in the third degree. Joseph Swansboro of Ithaca was sentenced to 150 months in federal prison for attempting to entice and coerce a minor to engage in sexual activity, according to the Albany Field Office of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. As part of his previously entered guilty plea, Swansboro admitted that between September and October of 2021, he exchanged sexually explicit messages online with an undercover officer posing as a 10-year-old child in an attempt to entice the child into engaging in sexual acts with him. Swansboro also admitted that on October 12, 2021, he traveled from his home in Tioga County to a prearranged meeting location in Broome County with the intent to engage in sexual acts with the 10-year-old child. Swansboro was arrested upon arrival at the location and was found in possession of candy it promised to bring the child. He was also sentenced to 25-year term of supervised release to begin after he serves his term of imprisonment. Swansboro will also be required to register as a sex offender upon his release from prison. The New York State Police announced that it issued a total of 12,171 tickets statewide during this year's special Thanksgiving holiday traffic enforcement period. The Thanksgiving enforcement period began on Wednesday, November 22nd and continued through Sunday, November 26th. 
During the campaign, which was funded by the Governor's Traffic Safety Committee, state police utilized sobriety checkpoints, additional DWI patrols, and ticketed distracted drivers who used handheld electronic devices. Troopers arrested 178 people for DWI and investigated 765 crashes with zero facilities reported. As part of the enforcement, troopers also targeted speeding and aggressive drivers across the state. Tickets were issued for 4,349 for speeding, 362 for distracted driving, 1,162 for seatbelt violations, and 137 for move over law. During the 2022 Thanksgiving holiday enforcement campaign, the New York State Police issued 14,263 total tickets and arrested 229 people for DWI. After several years of debate and discussion, a newly constructed Vestal Fire Department station has gone into operation. Fire trucks and other equipment used by firefighters have been moved into the $7.5 million facility off Jensen Road. The new Station 4 is located just south of the Kohl's store on the Parkway Plaza. The complex was built on a three-and-a-half-acre site where an American Legion clubhouse had stood for about six decades. The Vestal Fire District acquired the property in 2018. The 15,000-square-foot facility has much more space for fire apparatus than the old Station 4 located a short distance away on the Vestal Parkway. Assistant Fire Chief Chuck Paffey said fire department members are extremely happy with the new station. He told WNBF News, it's nice to have the room we have now. Plans for call for the property where the old station stands to be sold. The proceeds from the sale will be used to help defray some of the cost of develop, developing the new facility. A dedication ceremony and open house event are planned at the facility soon. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. Bob Joseph, this is Binghamton Now on a Thursday morning. Coming up later this hour, we'll have an opportunity for you to call in and talk about issues of concern, so stay tuned. We're live and local with the information you need every weekday morning from 9 to noon. Thank you for making Binghamton Now part of your life. Joining us now is Ben Stewart. He's manager of meter services for NYSEG and Rochester Gas and Electric, the sister utilities that serve hundreds of thousands of customers across upstate New York. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm glad that you're able to join us because, as you know, a lot of NYSEG customers are, um, in some cases, uh, curious few cases actually confused about the the concept of smart meters anytime new technology is deployed there will be a lot of questions and i think you'll be able to share some information that'll be useful to our listeners yes yes absolutely i'm excited to uh share some of that information you know smart meters have have been around for almost a decade um although very new to our our service territory so uh, i'd be happy to to answer any questions on that First off, sounds like an overly simplistic question. What is a smart meter? 
Absolutely. So a smart meter is an electric meter or a natural gas module that actually attaches to the gas meter with two-way wireless communication between the meter and our systems. So the smart meter will securely transmit its usage and meter status directly to NYSEG automatically, uh, which ultimately is going to allow for uh, monthly bills to be based on actual usage. Um, in addition to that, it's going to give us faster response if customers are experiencing a power outage. And ultimately, customers have better control over their bills. They're going to be looking at actual usage versus, as we all know, estimates, which we don't like. So uh, the, the meters are basically automatically sending information uh, meter data and usage back to us. Now tell me about the process because obviously we're talking about it now in the Binghamton area in, in the last few months, but NYSEG already has deployed uh, smart meters in some other parts of the state, and I, I believe so as RG&E. Tell me a little bit about the history of, of deploying the smart meters in, in various parts of uh, the utility service areas in upstate New York. Yeah, absolutely. So we we had a pilot project that we did in our Ithaca area um, uh, about five or six years back, uh, where we installed some some smart meters around thirteen thousand or so customers, and we kind of you know worked through the the process there, upgraded our systems, uh, make sure we could you know handle all the data coming in and and, and generate bills. Uh, and ultimately, the New York State Public Service Commission uh, accepted and approved the project in November of 2020. Unfortunately, that was in the height of the pandemic, uh, challenges with hiring, supply chain issues, inflation. So it has not been an easy task, to say the least. But uh, we have installed over 250,000 smart meters to this point, around 30,000 already here in our Binghamton uh, division. So we're we're mostly done with the Ithaca area. We're uh, moving along in Rochester, and uh, we're here in Binghamton now um, deploying them. So, are these units expensive? How much does it cost per smart meter at at each site? Now, I'm not talking about the actual in you know, the cost, including installation, or you could break it down. But in terms of equipment, uh, I I assume smart meters probably aren't cheap. You know, it's amazing. The, the technology has actually been out for you know, uh, you know, well over a decade now. So, so prices has uh, have certainly come down. I don't have you know details on exactly what what the the product costs and and the you know there's a, there's a network involved to get this information back to us. We have access points and relays that um, you know will collect those meter reads and get them back to us. So there's there's a system you know in, installed. Uh, to maintain that. However, what's important to note is once that system is installed, then it opens the door for future technology. You know, for example, methane detection. You know, uh, if you look at uh, downstate in, in the city, New York City, we've got methane detection being installed. So all of that information can get relayed back through the meter, through the network that's being set up uh, back to the utility. So Really, the idea is to to really uh, have that network and provide safety, reliability to our customers. That's that's really what it's all about. With the initial pilot program in Ithaca, were there 
any specific snags or unusual challenges that NYSEG faced in in the first effort to implement the smart meter program? Yeah, you know, you know, we it's new technology, right? And so it, it's new to our customers. It's it's new to us. So you know, there was a lot of unknowns. Uh, we didn't you know what know what to expect. Um, you know, we really received a lot of positive feedback. Um, I think you know, for us, learning our our geography, learning our landscape. Um, you know, these meters, you know, have to communicate. Um, you know, and so we have to figure out where to put our access points, where to put our relays. We found a lot of issues with the, you know, down by the lakes, the cliffs, blocking reception, things like that. So it was a challenge, you know, to learn that. Um, but overall, it was very positive. I think um, the, the customers in Ithaca who um, were part of this pilot had had good success with it. So explain how it works, say, if because obviously NYSEG has as uh, some customers who receive electricity and natural gas, some who don't receive both, do people need just a single smart meter regardless of the service that they're receiving from NYSEG? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Bob. So uh, basically the electric meter uh, for all of our customers who have electric is is being replaced with a new meter, which is what we call a smart meter. If they have a gas meter, they're going to keep that gas meter. We're simply going to attach a device to the front of that gas meter. Uh, their index, their, their their dial will stay on that device, so they're still welcome to manually read their meter if they'd like to or, you know, look at the usage that way. But that device will then send the gas read to the electric meter, and then the electric meter will send those reads back on our um you know, our communication platform back to us. So if you have an electric meter, that will be exchanged. If you have a gas meter, it will stay, and we'll just add um, a module to it. Now, in some cases, if your gas meter is, you know, 40 years old and it's it's time to be replaced, they, they might decide it needs to be upgraded at that time as well. Um, there's some of that going on. But for the most part, um, you'll... you'll Ben Stewart is manager of meter services for NYSEG on this Thursday morning. Binghamton now, I think. I think we have lost the connection. Oh, are you still with us? Yep, I can hear you. Okay. Um, So uh, has, has everybody, everybody in the Binghamton area who will be receiving a smart meter in the coming weeks, have they all been notified that that they're going to get uh, the smart meters, or is that still a, a process that's that's being done in phases? Yeah, so we we've, we have sent out communication, uh, you know, to our to the, the Binghamton area, saying, "Hey, smart meters are coming. This is what they're this is what they're like. You know, here's here's what you can expect." But what will happen is uh, a customer will receive a postcard about two weeks prior to our installer being in the area. And then one to two days before the scheduled install, you'll get a phone call. And they'll just let you know, hey, we're going to be coming in the next day or two. You know, here's what you can expect. And then on the day they arrive, they'll knock on the door um, and let you know they're there. If you're not home, that's fine. As long as they have access to your meter, they'll go ahead and complete the upgrades. And they'll just leave a door hanger letting you know that your meter your meter or your gas 
gas module uh, uh, have been have been installed. Um, if they run into any issues uh, accessing your meter, you know we have some customers with with meters inside or in the basement. Um, they will let you know they were not able to access it. They'll leave a door hanger for that as well. And um, same thing uh, for vegetation issues if they can't you know access the meter that way or maybe a safety concern. Um, you know, safety is our, our number one priority here. And so if our installers see something wrong with your service, you know, we have issues with underground services. Uh, the frost heat pulls the service wires tight. And if we remove your old meter, it could potentially damage the meter socket. And so we want to be careful that everything looks safe before we begin that installation. So if something doesn't look right, um, we'll leave a, a door hanger letting you know that we were unable to complete your meter installation. And uh, if it's something simple, uh, they might mark it right on the door hanger what it is. But in most cases, uh, they'll just say we weren't able to. There is a phone number on that door hanger. Uh, it's 866-531-6315. Uh, give that number a call. Uh, they are 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. weekdays. Uh, 8, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Saturdays, and you can set up an appointment where we can come back out, perhaps a level two technician, uh, whatever the case may be, maybe an electrician, um, and make those repairs and get them done safely. If it's a major safety concern, they'll have line department come right there and make sure it's taken care of. So this is this is more for minor minor issues. Um, you know, we have different level technicians. Um, you know, making these doing these installations. So uh, it may just require a different level technician. What effect does the transition, the installation of a smart meter have on um, either the electric service or that matter, natural gas service at a residence? Is there any effect in most cases? No. So you really, you really shouldn't notice much. The, the, the natural gas uh, service will not be interrupted at all. The electric service may be a brief interruption um, if if there's not a bypass uh, installed in that meter socket. So generally, it might be a uh, one minute outage, maybe less. Um, they'll they'll come in, they'll do all their checks, um, they check voltage, make sure everything looks safe. They'll pull the pull the old meter out. Uh, they'll, of course, they'll get the old meter read before they do that, and they'll put the new meter in and uh, double check everything, button everything up, and and the customer. Should be good to go. So it, it, they may experience a brief uh, a brief outage. And if that's the case, perhaps for certain devices, they may, when they get home, have to reset clocks or or do. Um, in in some instances, depending on on the type of equipment and the way the equipment works, they they might have to do some resetting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everyone loves to try and remember how to reset their microwave clock. Uh, it's always a it's always a, a challenge. Absolutely, yeah. That, that, that keeps us easy. young. That's, that's, that, that's, brain exercises like that keep us keep keep us uh, on our toes. We're talking with Ben Stewart, manager of meter services for NYSEG. So, will the process continue uh, pretty much at the same pace even during the cold weather months, or will the the uh, upcoming winter weather have much of an impact on the installation of smart meters around the Binghamton region? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. So we're, 
We're still actually ramping up, uh, so we're, we're really hoping that even through the, the cold weather, through the winter, into 2024, uh, we'll continue the installations. Um, you know, right now you're going to see us in northern Broome County, parts of Shenango, Cortland counties, uh, parts of Tioga County, Owego, Vestal. Uh, I think my neighborhoods should be getting them here shortly. Uh, you know, a lot of people forget that. You know, nice egg employees are nice egg customers too. So I'm I'm looking forward to to getting my smart meter. Uh, so you know, there's there's certainly going to be some challenges with the winter, but our our intent is to continue uh, right on through. There is uh, a wonderful tool available if you go to niceegg.com forward slash smart meters. There is a lookup tool where you can put in your address, and it will give you an estimated window of when you can expect your smart meter to be installed. Now, schedules do change. So, you know, I recommend just, you know, check that periodically. Uh, if you think, you know, it was supposed to be installed, things may have been been shifted around a little bit. Uh, but customers can, can get an idea roughly, you know, when we're going to be in the area uh, to have that installed then. Will smart meters have any impact on the electric rates, what people are paying either for their energy or for the delivery of the energy, delivery of uh, electricity or, or natural gas, will rates be affected? Obviously, rates are changing. We already have heard news stories about upcoming rate changes. But as far as the installation of smart meters, does that mean people will pay more or less? Does that have any impact on customer bills? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, so for those who, and this is a little bit out of my wheelhouse, I'm, I'm focused specifically on meters. But for for those who uh, are receiving smart meters, there'll be no impact on on their rates or their bill. Um, you know, the the benefits are going to start uh, pretty quickly. You know, we're going to get those actual uh, monthly bills based on actual usage. Uh, they're going to have you know, better response time in terms of outages. You know, right now, if customers lose power, we're really relying on that customer to reach out to us and say, hey, I don't have power, you know, unless it's a big outage where we know where the issue is. We may not see these, you know, one or two customers here or there without power. So this this really gives us the ability to know exactly, you know, how many of our customers don't have power, where they are, and help us determine where that outage or where that problem really lies on that on that circuit. Um, in addition, really, uh, in terms of the customer's bill, with that actual usage, they can drill down and see hourly usage. So we'll have a tool, it's called Energy Manager, and it's linked with your NYSEG account. The customer can log into that. And they'll be able to drill down right, really right to the hour. On the, on the gas side, it's daily. On the electric side, it's hourly usage. So, you know, if you see your bill increase for some reason, you can go right into your account. You can look and see right to the day what may have caused that problem. Maybe, you know, your mother-in-law moved in, uh, you know, and your your she brought her jacuzzi with, you know, with her or whatever the case is. Um, you know, we can narrow it down. Uh, so that's that's going to be available to our customers and I think that's that's really exciting. Some NYSEG customers have told me, well, it's all well and good, but I don't want a smart meter. So for those people who really don't want a smart meter, what can they do? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So, uh, you know, 
we do. We do give the customers um, the option to opt out of, of receiving a smart meter. Um, there is an opt-out fee that comes along with that, um, and that is primarily because we have to continue in-person meter reading on our legacy meters. We have to do in-person connects and disconnects. We have to maintain our handheld devices to read those meters and the system to maintain and to to generate bills based off those manual reads. And so that process is extremely manual and really is costing the utility, you know, a fair amount of time and resources. So with the automated smart meters, it really automates that billing process. Um, and that's why we're encouraging our customers you know, to really switch over to a smart meter. Um, there are no risks. There is no security issues. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, the days of dial-up are gone away and, and cable has rolled into your area, right? So it's, it's you know, something you want to, um, to get on with. How much and, does and it actually cost per month for people who do choose to opt out? Um, I don't know the exact, uh, again, I'm, I'm, pretty focused specifically on the, the meters themselves. I think it's around 13, 13 something a month um, to uh, I, and I will find that for you here in just a second if we continue talking but um, 13 something a month. Yeah. And what about business customers? Can they also opt out or will they be required to have uh, smart meters installed? Yeah I, and I just, I'm just putting my hands on this now. I think it's um, Thirteen forty-seven a month is what the opt-out, uh, the NYSEG opt-out rate is per month. Uh, yeah, to answer your question on the the businesses, the businesses uh, will not have the option to opt out. They they will uh, they will receive their smart meter, um, and I would say in most cases of businesses, they're really looking forward to this because businesses are looking for that interval data. They're looking for that hourly data. They're actually controlling their HVAC with their energy usage and budgeting that way. So that's it's really important to our to our, our businesses and our commercial customers that that they have this information. Some people want to know what's happening to the NYSEG employees who over the years have been used to actually do the, the manual meter readings. What happens to those uh, dedicated employees? Yeah that that's a great question. So you know here here at NYSEG nobody uh, nobody is going to lose their job because of smart meters. You know, we have natural attrition that happens. Uh, and if you look at our job board, uh, we are hiring. We are hiring out the wazoo. So, uh, you know, all all of the meter readers who may be displaced by this project are being taken into other positions within the company, uh, very possibly positions related to um, to smart metering. And we will still need, um, we still will need some meter readers, you know, as there are some uh, opt-out customers in the area. Listener earlier this week called, and he had a question uh, following an outage that happened last week because of, uh, as you know, there were strong winds that moved through much of uh, the Binghamton area, and that caused uh, at one point several thousand Binghamton area customers to be without electric service. He had a, an electrical service disruption that was storm related and he wondered he his uh, residence has 
recently installed smart meter, and it was his um, assessment that the getting power back on, apparently that was one of the the customers that that took uh, longer than most to have power restored. He was wondering if um, any delay in power restoration was related to the new smart meter at his house. Yeah, that's a great question. So it's funny, my, my phone rang uh, early, early morning um, when the winds came through and, and I uh, ended up working, working on my, my storm roll through, uh, through the morning of Thanksgiving. So I'm very familiar with that, that wind event. So the answer is, the answer is no. Um, what, what will happen is as smart meters are deployed, uh, once a certain area of meters are deployed, we have we kind of have each division broken down into sectors. And so when that sector, uh, that area is complete, we will then turn that that sector on. So they start um, reporting. So in most areas, really, even though smart meters have been deployed, we're not actually using those monthly reads and that data yet until until that sector is complete because each meter is really required to build a mesh network for these meters to be able to relay their data um, with just a, you know a few meters in, every, in, in each area the communications isn't necessarily there to be able to uh, to send the reads back so what, once that happens and a sector is complete and uh, that sector goes live then we'll have that usage where we can monitor exact outages um, you know, and in the case of this this recent storm, um, a lot of customers were affected. We had a, a big a transmission um, phase that came down, and that was a big a big cause for a lot of the outages. But really, the effects are going to be um, once once the Binghamton division is completely has them. That's when we'll really start to see the effects of the, the smart meter. Ben Stewart, manager of Meter Services for NYSEG. Thank you very much for answering. A- few of my questions. Hopefully this has been helpful to NYSEG customers. Yeah, thanks, Bob. And I'll just I'll just remind everyone, we have an open house. Um, it's January 9th. It's in the Johnson City Senior Center from 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, we are in person. I'll be there. So, I, you know, I expect to see you there too, Bob. Uh, feel free to ask for, uh, for, for my name, Ben Stewart. I'll be there. Uh, we're here to talk about smart meters, we're here to talk about concerns customers may have. Uh, it's not a presentation. It's just in an in-person event where you can talk to a NYSEG representative. We can look up your account. We can go over your bill. You know, whatever is bothering you, um, we're absolutely here to, to help. So that's January 9th at the Johnson City Senior Center, 5 to 7 p.m. And one final thing. This just came in uh, really in the last few seconds. Uh listener from Vestal writes, I think this question won't get to you in time because we're about ready to wrap up, but it got to me just in time. She says, my smart meter was installed on Black Friday while I was not here. What I noticed is that the big box on the front of the house was not removed, only the small facing part was, so the old box is still there with a new little meter attached to it, and she thinks it looks bad, and she is wondering why that's how they're doing it. That's, I guess I, I don't fully understand that the customer's question there, but if you want to provide me with some more details after this, Bob, I can I can certainly look that up and, and we can get back with the, the yeah, that's a, yeah. She didn't uh, offer any additional 
yeah. a background or there's no pictures, so I can yeah. just wanted to. But, since it came in, and I thought, well, if we had you on the line, if it was something that that uh, with that description yeah. immediately resonated with you, um, and. I guess the bottom line is, I know I, I asked you more than a few questions, actually a lot more questions than I anticipated. Is there any one question, though, that, that you think that I have overlooked that, based on your experience, whether it was with the pilot program in Ithaca or the uh, implementation efforts in the years since, any any obvious question that I failed to ask? No, and I'll just say this, Bob, on that the last customer's question, that... You know, the customer owns their the meter pan, and NYSEG owns the meter. So she may just be referring to a specific uh, the meter pan that the meter sits in, which would which would be customer owned. But I'll, I'll just say this, and wrapping it up, you know, we there are over you know 100 million <clears throat> smart meters installed across the country so far, and really we're one of the last utilities in New York to be installing smart meters. Um, you know, you just cross cross the border into Pennsylvania and to Canada, go downstate. Uh, you know, meters are are already installed, and the customers are are already reaping the benefits of this. So that's what we're just really excited for. Is you know, our customers deserve actual bills monthly. They deserve access to their to their their energy usage, and so you know, we're just excited to bring that to the community, and you know, we'll do it as safely and as, as as quickly as we can. Ben Stewart of NYSEC, thanks again for your time. Hope you have um, an enjoyable holiday season. Thank you, Bob. You too. Appreciate it. It's 10.38, live and local, with the information you need for yourself and for your family. It's Binghamton now. 607-772-1290. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. We're still saving the Southern Tier money at Galt Toyota. The Fats. WNBF Live. I'm Joseph with Binghamton now at 1043. Fran from the town of Shenango. You're on the air. Well, good morning, Bob. And this is a dumb guy with a smart meter. So I got to say, when the power went out on Tuesday, heard the crashing, everything landed on the ground. Pretty horrendous, had a big fat tree, everything. Um, I thought that they would come, as they had in the past, do a few of their uh, cleanups and put the box back on, and away we go, and the electricity would come back on. Did not happen that way. I had to call a uh, electrician to come to the residence, 
who said that he had rehooked up everything. And I said, okay, good, the lights will be coming. It won't be freezing anymore. Nah, not so fast, young man. The other guy had to come to inspect it, which was something new. I don't recall having one of them come out and inspect it. He had a green tag it. Okay, so I'll take that green tag. I'm on my way back to electricity. No, I wasn't. Although they told me I had power at my residence, I did not. Wasn't happening. Didn't get it back until Thanksgiving. And if this is what this guy was trying to sell us here, that little word he threw in there, if you didn't get the meter, there would be a fee. You know, living in uh, New York State, we got to have them. But so I thought to avoid that fee, we would get the smart meter and our dreams would all come true. Nah, the nightmare was just unfolding. I haven't been able to put my confidence in it yet that something's not going to go wrong with it. Um, finally, when the two fellows showed up on um, <clears throat> Thanksgiving, one guy said to me, sir, go on in your house and let us look at this. So they did. They went in. The guy said, can I look at your service box? Something the other people did not say. He went in. He did something there. He said, I'll have your lights on in 10 minutes. I said, 10 minutes? Where have you been? You know? So him and his fellow worker did. They also helped clean up some yard mess for me so I could walk through. Um, That was nice of them. I appreciated that part of it. But what I didn't appreciate was more downtime. We never had that with the old box. Well, and and maybe maybe it's just in the early stages. Maybe they're... um you know, the situation is going to resolve. You know, hopefully that won't happen again. Well, I do think that you hit on most of the questions yeah. and, that I and, was going to ask. Yeah, and, and I, I appreciated that, you know, at least we were able to ask him a lot of those questions. You know, as I mentioned to him, a lot more questions than I really intended. Oh, yeah. I didn't intend to make it a marathon session, but there are a lot of questions. And actually, to be honest, could have probably gone on for at least another 30 minutes but but i think some of the basic information was very useful and let's hope i i am sorry that you had that experience last oh, week i don't i uh, i don't envy you i've had uh, a couple of occasions with extended power outages myself that uh, never never fortunately around the holidays and and never when when it was really cold thank you very much for your call 1047 this is bob joseph you're listening to binghamton now on wnbf I got some troubles, but they won't last. I'm gonna lay right down here in the grass. And pretty soon all my troubles will pass. Cause I'm in shoo, shoo, shoo. Shoo, shoo, shoo. Shoo, 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 sugar town. Theme from the United States Candy Association. 
Sunny today, 45. Mainly clear tonight, 35. Cloudy tomorrow. Showers in the afternoon, 44. Mostly cloudy Saturday with a slight chance of showers, 53. Right now, looking at the imaginary thermometer, because we no longer have real thermometers, apparently. We just have something on a screen. The temperature is purportedly 39 Fahrenheit for Celsius at News Radio WNBF. We have a lot to talk about, and next hour we plan to take a lot of phone calls. So if you have things to say, I intend to take your call next hour. On Binghamton Now, WNBF 92.1. FM, 1290 AM, streaming at WNBF.com. I think she stubbed her toe. Told you. Careful. Oh, I own Twitter. <laughs> that don't impress me. So that guy is standing there, no, sitting there answering all these questions. And it started out okay, and then suddenly he went off the complete rails. And you know that guy, I'm not even going to mention him by name because of hip-hop, but, you know, you run Twitter, you run SpaceX, you run Tesla, um, and, oh, the boring company. I thought, oh, you put out talk shows? The Boring Company. Anyway, so the guy is there on a live feed, and I'm I'm listening intently because I figured, oh, well, maybe, maybe finally we're going to get to the root of the problem. No, instead, he takes, you know, serious problems and then digs himself in even deeper. And you can do it. I've said this before. If you're a billionaire, you can basically get away with anything. Am I right, people? It's 1056, Bob Joseph, live on WNBF. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Bob Joseph. I woke up this morning with the sun down, shining in. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... Jagged sky. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Who is that? George Santos? Congressman Santos. Are you okay? Come on, man. (laughs) Well, I have a sense, uh, you know, starting Saturday, Congressman Santos 
We'll have plenty of time to do radio interviews, even with stations in upstate America. He'll have so much time on his hand. It's 11 o'clock. Bob Joseph live on WNBF. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF News. Sunny today, high near 46. Partly cloudy tonight, low around 34. Afternoon showers Friday, high near 45. The man who police believe gunned down an Endicott residence in a Huron campus parking lot is being held on a murder charge. Authorities said 24-year-old Nathaniel Williams Jr. of Endicott was being held at Broome County Jail in the town of Dickinson. No bail has been set for Williams, who was arraigned shortly after he was taken into custody following a standoff on Binghamton's west side. Endicott police said Williams is suspected in the killing of 25-year-old Malik Dawson, who was found lying on the ground in a parking lot on Adams Avenue. Officers were sent to the scene after gunshots rang out around 1.30 p.m. on Saturday, July 1st. Dawson was taken to Wilson Medical Center in Johnson City, where he died a short time later. Endicott Police said Williams was charged with second-degree murder on October 4th. An arrest warrant was issued by Village Court. The U.S. Marshals Service Regional Fugitive Task Force tracked Williams to a single-family home at 68 Thorpe Street in Binghamton. Metro SWAT team members showed up at the residence around 11.45 a.m. Tuesday to execute a search warrant. Homes in the neighborhood were evacuated and nearby schools went into lockdown status as a precaution. Police said Williams was taken into custody around 5.30 p.m. No injuries were reported during the standoff. On November 27th, members of the Broome County Special Investigations Unit Task Force executed a search warrant at 97 Pine Street, Apartment 1 in Binghamton. Search warrant investigators located a loaded 9mm Glock brand handgun, 45 Colt 410 shotgun bond arms handgun, high capacity 9mm handgun magazine, and ammunition for both handguns. Gary Turner was arrested and transported to the Binghamton Police Department to be processed on two counts of criminal possession of a weapon, second degree, and three counts of criminal possession of a weapon in the third degree. Joseph Swansboro of Ithaca was sentenced to 150 months in federal prison for attempting to entice and coerce a minor to engage in sexual activity, according to the Albany Field Office of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. As part of his previously entered guilty plea, Swansboro admitted that between September and October of 2021, he exchanged sexually explicit messages online with an undercover officer posing as a 10-year-old child in an attempt to entice the child into engaging in sexual acts with him. Swansboro also admitted that on October 12, 2021, he traveled from his home in Tioga County to a prearranged meeting location in Broome County with the intent to engage in sexual acts with the 10-year-old child. Swansboro was arrested upon arrival at the location and was found in possession of candy it promised to bring the child. He was also sentenced to 25-year term of supervised release to begin after he serves his term of imprisonment. Swansboro will also be required to register as a sex offender upon his release from prison. 
The New York State Police announced that it issued a total of 12,171 tickets statewide during this year's special Thanksgiving holiday traffic enforcement period. The Thanksgiving enforcement period began on Wednesday, November 22nd and continued through Sunday, November 26th. During the campaign, which was funded by the Governor's Traffic Safety Committee, state police utilized sobriety checkpoints, additional DWI patrols, and ticketed distracted drivers who used handheld electronic devices. Troopers arrested 178 people for DWI and investigated 765 crashes with zero facilities reported. As part of the enforcement, troopers also targeted speeding and aggressive drivers across the state. Tickets were issued for 4,349 for speeding, 362 for distracted driving, 1,162 for seatbelt violations, and 137 for move-over law. During the 2022 Thanksgiving holiday enforcement campaign, the New York State Police issued 14,263 total tickets and arrested 229 people for DWI. After several years of debate and discussion, a newly constructed Vestal Fire Department station has gone into operation. Fire trucks and other equipment used by firefighters have been moved into the $7.5 million facility off Jensen Road. The new Station 4 is located just south of the coal store on the Parkway Plaza. The complex was built on a three-and-a-half-acre site where an American Legion clubhouse had stood for about six decades. The Vestal Fire District acquired the property in 2018. The 15,000-square-foot facility has much more space for fire apparatus than the, the old Station 4 located a short distance away on the Vestal Parkway. Assistant Fire Chief Chuck Paffey said fire department members are extremely happy with the new station. He told WNBF News, it's nice to have the room we have now. Plans for call for the property where the old station stands to be sold. The proceeds from the sale will be used to help defray some of the cost of develop, developing the new facility. A dedication ceremony and open house event are planned at the facility soon. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. Bob Joseph on WNBF. Zero seven 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 two twelve ninety. If you have something to say, you can call that number, and we'll see how it goes on a Thursday morning. Wrapping up November twenty twenty three. All of the November Binghamton Now merchandise now available at deep, deep, deep discounts. Everything must go. The new December stuff is coming in tonight at the imaginary. 
Binghamton now store. IWNBF, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Everything must go but Bob. It's Dave from Vestal, Bob. How's it going? Never better. I think, and I'm, I know it's a little early to assess 2023. We still have 31 days to go, but I am poised to say this has been the best year ever for the program. Hey, I, you know what? I concur. I, I, I agree with that, Bob. It's, uh, it's done well. You know, I, I'd like to comment. I, I can't stay on long, Bob, but I'd like to comment on comments that were made yesterday. Um, I uh, I listened both times when uh, Matt Ryan called in. I listened to his words, everything he said. And, Bob, we should be so grateful that he did not win. Um, you know, <laughs> he – I've said it many times before. I mean, he, he did – he sounded exactly like a public defender and not a prosecutor. Um you see what's going on around the country, and you see how terrible that philosophy philosophy has been where we have sympathy for the criminals and less for the people that are hurt, Bob. So we got it. We're fortunate. We're fortunate that he did not win. Um, he needs – and it's okay if he wants to feel sorry for the criminals. Have sympathy for him. Go do it. But then, you know – like I said before, be a social worker, a uh, reform worker of some kind. After, be a talk like show that. host. Be a talk show yeah, host. Do yeah, something yeah, good. Even that. Right, exactly. Something like that would yeah. be good for him. All right. But, yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate your opinion. I say be a talk show host. I, I think... And this actually applies to all of Binghamton's former mayors who are still in the area, uh, whether it's Mr. Ryan, Mr. David, Mr. Bucci, I say each of them is immensely qualified to be a talk show host. I think they should start their own talk shows. Oh, you're thinking, oh, that they should apply for this job. No, this job is not available, but they should start their own talk shows. Uh, Richard David, Matthew Ryan, uh, Richard Bucci... They all have enormous knowledge, and they all have passion for the city of Binghamton and for the region. They would make excellent talk show hosts. That's my opinion. But no, you can't have this show. But I want this show. You've had this show for over a decade. It's time for you to turn over the reins to someone else. Yeah, I'll let you know. Send me your contact information and... <laughs> I'll let you know. But it's going to be a while. But don't you agree? No, I shouldn't say that. Never mind. Scratch that. 607-772-1290. 45 minutes left of the Thursday edition of Binghamton Now. With your AI host. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. Reserve your new Toyota at Galt Toyota.
WNBF on a Thursday morning. Happy holidays for those who celebrate. This is Bob Joseph. Let's go back to the phones. William from Binghamton, you're on the air. Yes, uh, I was just listening to your uh, broadcast there about the three mayors uh, coming back and uh, doing a talk show host. Uh, I had a better idea. I said, why don't you get together with those three and you guys can form a television program kind of like the view and you can call yourselves the review just a thought yeah i should call the uh, people at um one of the tv stations i know here's the thing i know people at all four of the tv stations and i could run that up their uh, flagpole to see if we could do that say once a week i think that'd be a great program to do i don't know when they would schedule it but maybe Maybe on a Saturday or Sunday, but I think it would be fun, or maybe just once a month, or maybe just an occasional special. It sounds like something that would be good on uh, WSKG Public Media, sort of a, a local news and review program. I would be honored to host it along with Mayors David, Ryan, and Bucci. Right, because uh, two of you, you know go one way and two of you go the other way and you have opposing opinions and you can, you know, really show the public the pros and cons of everything. Yeah, it'd be like issues and answers except on a local basis. It'd be like this week with David Binkley except instead of David Binkley it would be me. That's right. (laughs) I like the idea. I like the idea and I know at least one person who would participate. I'm sure Matthew Ryan would participate. I don't know about uh, Mr. Bucci or Mr. David, I, they might do it as a special. Maybe we should try. We probably can't get WSKG or 
um, News Channel 34 or Fox 40 or um, 12 News. Probably can't get them to commit to doing it on TV, but we could try that on the radio. I would like to do that maybe at least once a month. I'd like, yeah. well, maybe try it once to see how it goes. I actually think, can you imagine, and again, just between you and me, this doesn't go elsewhere because I don't want people to get mad before I've, I've run this past management, but can you imagine how much fun it could be to have Rich David, Richard Bucci, Matt Ryan, and maybe an occasional guest, maybe even the current mayor in the studio with me, Live, say on a Friday morning, say maybe theoretically from 10 to 11 and talk about city issues and take phone calls. Good idea. Yeah. And as you say, I don't know if it would be fair, but it'd be balanced. Correct. Yeah. And, and by the way, everybody that I mentioned loves the city of Binghamton. So even if the people involved, whether it's the host or the former mayors, even if they may have different views of the future for Binghamton, we know the one thing we all agree on is we we just love Binghamton. So I think I think that would be a crowd pleaser. Well, like I you know I listen to your show not all the time, but you know only, only when I'm in the car, and it just seems like people call in and it's either one side or the other. If you get both sides together and you know hash it out. You know, you make people think more, I think. Well, here's the thing. The more I think about it, the more I'm sure that Matt Ryan, Richard Bucci, and Rich David all would agree. I, but I, I'm afraid, you know me, I'm afraid to approach people with new ideas. You know, I'm kind of shy. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody, maybe one of them, who knows, maybe they're all listening. Mm. That'd be scary. They're all sitting around listening to this show. Um, I doubt it. But anyway, if one or two or all three of them are listening right now, they should contact each other. They know how to get in touch with each other. And then um, if they would all agree, like sometime in December or January, I would love to have the former mayors. You know, we did that one time. Actually, well, we had uh, those three. And that's back when Rich David was still mayor. You might remember it was, uh, I thought it was a great program. It was uh, tied in with the 175th birthday of the city of Binghamton. And so on that day, 175 years after the city charter was adopted, we had uh, Rich David, who was the current mayor, along with his predecessor, Matt Ryan, and his predecessor, Richard Bucci. We had them all here in the studio and I know people were probably surprised at what a great hour it was. Because, again, it was not designed. It was not one of those things, oh, let's let's see if we could stir up trouble and, and start, you know, the world's biggest, loudest radio debate ever. It was just a talking about the city of Binghamton, the history of the city, and even a bit about the future. And I, I talked with each... Each of the mayors, uh, David, Ryan, and Bucci, afterward, they all all seem to think that it went well. So maybe we could do that again sometime. If I guess that would be based on listener demand. I know you like the idea. I like the idea. And if other listeners like the idea, maybe maybe that's something we can do. Well, I'll take a little poll and see what people think. Okay. 
Like you, yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I want to say, Bob. Thank you. Eleven twenty-six at WNBF. I think that would be a public service, but I have to check see if we're allowed to perform that kind of service anywhere. You know, now in the era of artificial intelligence, maybe that's something we're going to be shying away. Maybe we'll go in a new direction. Starting January 2nd, Binghamton now goes in a new direction with delightful AI hosting. It's delightful. 607-772-1290, Thursday morning live. I'm here till noon to take your calls. Binghamton now, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, WNBF.com. WNBF Binghamton, 11.30. Broadcasting to all of America, from coast to coast. And of course, to all the ships at sea. Warren in Sydney, good morning, you're on the air. Good morning, Bob. Before I get to my question, I have to ask you a question. A couple of days ago, you played a song, and I'm trying to find out what the name of the song is, but it, it, it was like the dot, the dot, the dot, and have you seen that person? Uh, you know, um, do you know what song that, that, I'm, you're to, that you played on your show? I've been trying to find out what the name of that song was. I haven't heard it in years. Hmm. Hmm. It's not ine- immediately coming to me. So da 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 da. And it says, "Have you seen that?" I thought it said "girl" in a white dress or something. I don't know. But I've it, seen that. You played it like like maybe Tuesday, and uh, and I was you know I've been hmm. looking 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 for it. And I can't find it. Well, that's interesting. Now I'm perplexed because that should be a pretty easy question, you know. It should be the easiest question, but um, but yeah, it's not not instantly. Hmm. Who did it sound like? I mean, was there uh, a, a it sounded, sound? It sounded like a rock group, you know, like you know, you know, like uh, have you seen? You know, I mean, it was like the you know, it come out like a charge. You're know, like. Hmm. Like a Rocky song, like 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 the police, that group, the police. Be. It could be, it, I, you know. And uh, but I can't. I was I, I was just wondering if you knew what the name of the song was. All right. Well, I'll try to figure I, it out. You you said it, it may have been on Tuesday. Yeah. All right. I will. Uh, I'll work on that. In the meantime, because our listeners may may be saying to themselves, ah, I, I remember distinctly the song you're referring to. If they, if any listener knows, they can uh, certainly call in 
later this morning, I mean, between now and noon, or send an email. Um, of course, at any given time in the next 10 minutes, I might be able to actually remember what it was. But, yeah, I, hmm, must have been from the back of the rack. No. Now, my actual question is, I served in the military, okay? So I actually, you know, you know, as a citizen, as took an oath, but I also took a military oath. And I'm hearing on TV, I even had a person that uh, his wife served because I, I'm in the V. Uh, I go to the VFW in Sydney, and his her husband did not serve, but they're claiming this dual citizenship. It doesn't say anything in our Constitution about dual citizenship. And to me, that's showing disrespect to our country when you, because when you raise your right hand and take the oath, it says, you know, you're giving up all foreign and domestic to defend the United States of America. And I was wondering what your view on that is. Uh, I've never really thought that. I've thought a little bit about it in the past, as in, just in passing, never really contemplated the whole thing, but I always thought dual citizenship didn't make sense. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, no, I mean, it, it, and again, you know, I'm not being judgmental. It's just, yeah. or, you know, if, if, if freedom of choice, it seems to me, uh, freedom of choice. If you don't want to declare yourself to be a citizen of any country, if if you want to say, I'm an independent operator. I am not. I don't consider myself to be, at least legally, a citizen of any country. I'm independent of all countries, and I just roam and roam and roam around uh, with no. I'm not an American citizen. I'm not Canadian. I'm not Japanese. So I looked this up. The first thing that I looked up. This is according to. The U.S. Embassy.gov, the Supreme Court of the United States has stated that dual nationality is a status long recognized in the law and that a person may have and exercise rights of nationality in two countries and be subject to the responsibilities of both. I'm going to have to do more reading about this and then more thinking about it to, to really form an opinion because I don't know. It's yeah, it's one of those things that it's sort of it's it's lingered out there on the back 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 burner of my mind in the past where somebody talks declares dual citizenship and it, it's never bothered me but it's just well, it, it, I mean but I don't understand how it works and and that's why it, okay here's another uh this is usa.gov uh, fortunately no relation to Gannett um so this is another so we'll learn about this process. I won't dwell on it too long now, but maybe yeah. maybe tomorrow or maybe next week. How to get dual citizenship or nationality. This is according to the federal government, USA.gov. Um so of course having dual citizenship, also known as dual nationality, means being a citizen of the United States and another country at the same time. It says, whether born an American citizen or naturalized, if you have dual citizenship, you owe allegiance to both the U.S. and a foreign country. You must use 
a U.S. passport to enter and leave the U.S. You do not have to choose one nationality over the other. As a U.S. citizen, you may naturalize in another country without risking your U.S. citizenship. I don't know. I I mean, at at this point, I'm not for or against it. I guess I'm... Because in my opinion, you know, if you're not willing to give up your... Then why raise your hand and become a citizen yeah. of this country? Yeah, I, mean, I don't. I, that's an it's an excellent question, and it's something I think worth exploring at some point. Again, maybe maybe not tomorrow, but maybe sometime next week because I want to read up more yeah. about it. Because okay. what if? And I'm not saying I'm gonna, but again, since we're talking hypothetically, what if I and I I'm a proud American. You know me. I'm the most patriotic person yeah. on the radio, at least today. So I love America. I will defend America and all that. I was born probably two or two and a half miles from where I'm standing. And I've lived in this area all my life. So having said that, what if I, for whatever reason, and again, totally hypothetical. So please, for our sensitive yeah. viewers, don't don't flip out. But what if I decide I want to also, I want to have dual nationality, but retain uh, my Ameri- my U.S. citizenship, but I also want to become a citizen of North Korea. Now, what about that? So if I call Kim Jong-un or uh, who's the basketball star who's friends with him, Dennis? Um, Dennis Rodman. Yes, Dennis Rodman. He's probably the best person to call. So if I wind up saying, hey, Denny. Denny, by the way, nice jewelry. Um, I've decided for purposes I'll, I'll keep secret that I, I want to have dual citizenship. Can you tell me who I can call in Pyongyang to uh, get the process rolling? Now, again, this is I know I've already people are like outraged. I can't believe that he would say that. Get him off the air. But again, it's for purposes. This is a hypothetical. I mean, I could have just as easily, if I didn't want to stir up any trouble and bother our sensitive viewers, I could have just as easily said, well, I would use Canada as an example and call somebody in Toronto. But that would be too simple. But again, it's a it's an interesting concept that I, I think is worthy of further discussion. But I understand the point you're making. Because to me, you know, it's it's a disrespect to our country, and, and 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 say, say the United States were whatever country you're from, have to go to war against that country, who's your who's your alliance going to be to? Yeah, that's a good point. And actually, to my hypothetical, I mean, since I think it's pretty clear that the United States and North Korea are not on friendly terms. So that's probably a really bad example. But say, for example, if I wanted to have uh, Canadian citizenship as well, and and up to this point, everything seems to have gone swimmingly between the U.S. and Canada. I don't foresee any major conflicts coming up in the next 50 years. But still, that would pose an interesting thing if, if push came to shove and for some reason... You know, the Canadians were withholding our shipment of Malamars every every fall. And if I were president, that could be viewed as as an unfriendly act if they wouldn't let... Because they make Malamars 
in Ontario, and then they ship them yeah. across the border to the U.S. But anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a great question, and at some point, and we don't have much more time on today's program, yeah. but maybe tomorrow others will discuss the issue because I don't know. I haven't, uh, I haven't heard much of anything ever reported about it, and so I, I'm, I'm glad well, you brought I'm it up. More and more about it, and then. Um it was interesting. I know you're not going to like the guy, but uh, I was listening and watching and listening to Bill O'Ryan, uh, Bill O'Reilly, excuse me. By the way, I like him. You know, I poke fun oh, at, at O'Reilly uh, for some of his things, his his antics or shenanigans. Hey, I like him. As I've said before, he got his start in broadcasting just down the road in Scranton at Channel 16. I no, he's no, he's he's fun. And he's, he has, he definitely has a unique personality. I've never talked to him. I would love to have O'Reilly on the program. Hey, I don't dislike anybody. I gotta be, I have to be clear, okay. including some people I name frequently on the program. I don't dislike them. The only thing that I sometimes have concerns about are some of the things that they've done or said. But I, I will tell you, uh, straight out, I believe I can get along with anybody that I've mentioned on the program, that I, well, he, it would be fine. He did, he did a poll. I don't know where it was from, where how he did it uh, of the what we were talking the dual citizenship, and ninety percent of the people that they polled said they'd go back to their countries and fight against her. Really? Hmm. Well, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I'll I'll check. I, I now I'm really curious because I, I again, as far as I know, we apparently have been doing this program now for more than a decade. I think this is the first time that anybody has brought it up. So thank you for introducing a new topic, and I'm I'm sure some of our other listeners will want to um, address it in the the coming days. Thank you very much. I appreciate taking my call. And if you can find out that song, it's driving me nuts. I'm <laughs> well, now it's like starting that. to drive me nuts because, hey, it's one thing if you, the listener, don't know, but it's pretty sad if I played it two or three days ago and I can't remember. But part of it is what, some, what some of the, the choices yeah, like, just happen on the fly. And I probably should start what some radio programs do and even TV programs. Sometimes they actually do keep track because of – listener or viewer interest and sometimes they at least keep track so if there are questions but i typically typically don't don't keep close track so but now now you've got me thinking maybe i'll i'll listen back to the uh, the tapes it's got a unique start it's like da, 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 da. have you seen this woman a lady a woman or lady mm. And I think it says white dress or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and and you know I hadn't heard the song in years, and I really liked it. Yeah. And I've been trying to find out. No, where it, so it sounds like it was an inspired choice, but it's it's also just one of those things that you know that's that's what I like about this program. We. We wind up doing new things every day, and sometimes they never get repeated. Thank you for the call, and we'll see if one of our listeners can solve the mystery. That would be a great contest for $1 billion in cash. If you can call between now and noon, 
obviously that's not true, but it would be a nice contest to run. Get people. If you could identify that song that was played earlier this week. Sadly, it appears the host is of no use. This is Bob Joseph Live, WNBF. Just be police, not BPD. Just be police. You'll be fabulous hit about our good friend Roxanne. Once again, we salute the police. Bob Joseph on the side of law enforcement. I am Mr. Law and Order. Yeah, and that Dick Wolf, me. I'm Mr. Law and Order. Gary from the West Side, you're on the air. Bob, for a million dollars, I'd like to take a guess. I, I think that song might be The Hollies, Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress, but that's just my guess. That's a good guess. That's a good guess. You know, so, um, from what he had uh, yeah. when, described. But I didn't, you know, I was, uh, that was, from what I heard, about the smart meters, very informative. You know, that's like a, a good guest to have on. Really good, good job there by you. But the smart meters now, they're not connected to Wi-Fi. They have their own way to connect, right? Did he talk about that at all? No, that's actually one thing that I omitted, and I I did intend to uh, ask about that. Plus, I was going to ask him. Of course, they there's they're smart meters, so of course they can monitor your energy use in real time. But then the other question I had, and I never got around to asking because it sounds more like a conspiracy theory. What else can they monitor? So I mean, yes, I get that they have a legitimate reason to track your energy usage, but uh, are they also able to pay attention to what radio programs I'm listening to and what TV shows I'm watching? Probably not. But no, I'm, I'm, you know, again, probably not. Um, well, my guess is no, not at all. But I, it did cross my mind because, yes, as far as the how the information actually is transmitted from your residence to NYSEG headquarters, whether it's in Vestal or Kirkwood or wherever they do the, you know, keep track of your energy use. By a WAN, right? Whatever that is. Wireless something yeah, network. Light know. area network, wireless area network. I don't know. But, but yeah, that's, well, a, the, that's a good my, question. Here's my thing, though, Bob. You know, so this is just like, look, they say it's probably safe and secure, right? But I'm sure that the water company down in Pennsylvania said the same thing about their water system that just got 
broken into by the, you know, through the internet or whatever. So, because you've got these people trying to do this all the time. So they're trying to get into the main electrical system, but now here's another way to get in. It's like, all right, well, you only had one way to get in before, but now you got two ways to get in, you know, to shut things off. But, you know, hopefully that's, that's unfortunately the way what people want to do, right? To strike back against America or wherever in the well, world or something. You know, it, doesn't necessar- it doesn't necessarily have to be bad actors outside the U.S. I've lived in the U.S. for many years, and I, I've come to know a few bad actors. I'm not saying they would stoop so low as to hack into crucial systems like our water supply system or our electricity or gas system or heaven forbid our internet system but or cable i mean keep your all you hackers keep your hands off my cable tv but you know it's i mean in this age everything is is wired and thank you by the way for mentioning the thing about the water in aliquippa pennsylvania i didn't even know about this because oh, yeah. because i was yeah. it looks like they announced it uh, over the holiday weekend when I was in a news blackout. So I'm just saying that this is something yeah. an Iranian-backed cyber group. That's right, because they had Israeli software. Yeah, that's what I, and and that's I'm saying that now. That's like, yeah, no. come on, man. Keep your hands off our water supply. Yeah. You know, but, you know, and then, like, it happens in hospitals all the oh, time. Oh, I know. That's another thing. It doesn't even make the news anymore. Well, no. Well, no, one of the reasons it doesn't make the news is they, they hush it up. There was just a, a story, I don't know if it was Monday or Tuesday, about a, a hospital system that's been yeah. targeted by ha- hackers again. And right. in one of their hospitals, most of their hospitals are, I think, in the Midwest, but they have one in New Jersey. Bottom line... In most of these hacking cases, everybody involved works desperately to keep it quiet. So that's businesses, hospitals, water authorities, I mean, governments. You say if a, a local county government <clears throat> gets hacked, will they put out a news release about it? I think not. Will any local business, if they get hacked, or a hospital corporation or whatever... If they get hacked, are they going to talk about it? No. For one thing, they're ashamed. No, they won't talk about it. Well, it would have to come out. Well, not necessarily. They've been. They might not do operations. uh, Yeah, hospitals. Yes. I mean, say if if a local hospital on Riverside Drive or a hospital over off Main Street in Johnson City or one. on Mitchell Avenue in Binghamton, I won't name their names because they're protected by HIPAA, but if if hospitals had to suddenly reschedule procedures, well, you can't keep that secret, but they'd try. Yeah, I they, agree. They certainly yeah. would. They wouldn't. They they would finally probably put out a three sentence news release after they started getting inquiries, but they wouldn't put out a news release ahead of time till some reporter started calling then they'd have to answer some questions that's all the time we have for today i'm bob joseph don't worry i'll be back tomorrow we'll make more right here on wnbf this is news radio 1290 am wnbf binghamton now on 92.1 fm w221 ej binghamton a town square media station